Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everyone, welcome to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey, and I have a special treat for you guys today. Today, I am sitting here with Dr. Alina Oltianu, and she has a dog at home right now that might bark. I have some kids at home right now that might bark, so just keep that in mind as we are both recording <laughs> during some <laughs> unusual circumstances, but I want to share a little bit about Dr. Alina because she just has so many awesome things to say about kids' health. And so let me give you her background. Dr. Alina Oltiano is the founder and president of Whole Child Pediatrics in, of North Texas. She is the only pediatrician in the DFW area trained through the prestigious Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine, founded by Dr. Andrew Weil. She is board certified in pediatrics, but also in integrative medicine through the American Board of Physician Specialties and the American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine. She holds a PhD in chemistry from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. She did her pediatric residency at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and received her medical degree from the University of Medicine and Pharmacy in Romania. She has extensive knowledge about herbs, supplements, homeopathy, aromatherapy, functional medicine, energy medicine, mind-body medicine, Ayurveda, and traditional Chinese medicine, which she practices in combination with traditional allopathic medicine. I'm telling you guys, this is a treat. Dr. Alina recognizes that the current medical system is imperfect and it often fails patients by its focus on disease management rather than health promotion and disease prevention. She knows that the epidemic of childhood chronic diseases is preventable and even reversible, mainly through a better diet, a more balanced lifestyle, and reducing stress and harmful environmental exposures. At the same time, she respects the amazing advances of traditional medicine, including vaccines, and she recommends antibiotics and other pharmaceutical treatments when necessary. She practices what many people call integrative medicine, but she prefers to call it just being a good, caring doctor. And I, I think that that's a very balanced perspective myself. As an innovator in the healthcare revolution, she is passionate about transforming the current medical system that over-diagnoses and over-medicates children into a model of care and integrates the belief in the innate healing capacities of the body and nature. She also speaks several languages, and has a special interest in nutrition, childhood behavioral problems, autism, ADHD, allergies, eczema, asthma, and epigenetics. So like I said, we could go on for a long time today. So thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you so much, Erin. I'm really excited to be here with you today. Yeah, I thought that today it would be a really fun time to just kind of talk about the basics, some basic ask the pediatrician questions, some things that moms and dads are wanting to, or caregivers in general are wanting to know about child health. So let's start with fevers. Let's, let's start there. And what do you, what are your recommendations for fevers? Um, how high is too high for a fever? What do you recommend for parents when they call the office and they say, oh, my kid has a fever. Let's go there. 
Yes, that's one of my favorite questions in pediatrics. And what I really love about my job is to educate parents, empower moms to become um, the healers. So the more information parents and moms have, the easier my job will be. And there's so many things moms can do at home before they um, decide to call the office or even come into the office. So at the very first visit that I have with a um, new baby, even two, three days old, I educate parents about fever because it's such a scary topic. Uh, we have a saying in pediatrics that um, there's this fever phobia in kids. Yes. Um, but once um, you become more familiar with fever in kids, it's becoming much easier to handle a child that has fever. So pediatrics is such a vast um, domain with babies from zero days, zero one to a few hours of age to um, age of 21. So fever is very different for a teenager than it is for a newborn. So um, the first thing that I tell a mom with a newborn is that the magic number for a baby is 100.4. And that's a Fahrenheit um, taken rectally. And that's about until they're about um, two, three months of age. So I teach them how to take the temperature rectally. And if it's 100.4, they have to go to the emergency room because uh, fever for a newborn can um, really be scary and it can um, be a symptom of a more serious bacterial infection, anything from meningitis to a urinary tract infection. So um, it's very different, as I said, than fever in a teenager, fever even in a toddler. Mm -hmm. But as the child is growing, um, once they pass that three to six months of age, we're kind of relaxing about fever. And uh, true fever, it's really more around 102 Fahrenheit. Um, but I do tell parents if it's, it's not just the number, it's also how the child looks. Ah. So um, once parents are becoming more um, comfortable and they have maybe two, three kids, they're definitely mm -hmm. are able to tell when a child looks sick and when a child just is running around playing and has one or two. Um, so the fever phobia is more about just the number. And um, as I said, once we're passing that um, few months of age, um, it also depends how the child looks. So if the child is well hydrated, is drinking, playful, um, or even just a little bit tired, but still um, playing, um, you have to, you can monitor at home for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of the time, they're just viral infections. And, um, you know, everybody knows now about viruses, but uh, <laughs> hot not, topic right now. <laughs> yes, it's not, um, I call it the VIP virus, but in pediatrics, uh, we have viruses all, all the time. So uh, there are viruses going around um, in, in kids, it's very common. So one of the symptoms of viruses is fever and mm -hmm. most viruses, they get better in like three to five days. Um, so the other big question about fever is to treat or not to treat with um, Tylenol or um, ibuprofen. 
So in general, I do suggest not to medicate fever. Again, it depends how the child looks. Mm -hmm. But if they're fairly comfortable, the fever is the body's way of getting rid of an infection, of getting mm -hmm. rid of a virus. So um, I say this to parents all the time, just watch it and let the body um, do its magic. Um, I truly believe that we all have a capacity to self-heal. And um, if we give the body a little bit of time and support, it, um, it's able to um, heal and, and just come back to its um, regular baseline. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And how, in what cases would you recommend treating a fever with a fever reducer? Are, are there, is there a number or like you so said, a way the child is acting? Yes. Yeah. So there's really no number, but it depends on how the child is acting. If the child mm. is really, really fussy and uncomfortable and not drinking, then I, it's okay. So, you know, one dose of ibuprofen or Tylenol once in a while, it's, it's not a big deal. Um, but usually around, um, even in younger kids who can run fever higher, if it starts to become 104, 105, I would suggest to call um, the office or go mm -hmm. to the ER, because especially if it's persistent, um, yeah. because that could be a sign of a more serious infection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, those, those are great tips. Yeah, I, um, it's funny, I, I think that the narrative has changed a lot. Like I, I remember, you know, giving, I think people think because Tylenol and ibuprofen are over the counter that it's just safe to use for, for, for whatever, like, Oh, my baby's a little bit fussy. I'm going to give them ibuprofen. And yes. that might not be the safest thing. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And low ones, they're resilient, but at the same time, they're very sensitive and every yes. child is different. But nowadays we're seeing more and more sensitive kids, not just, I don't mean just emotionally, but also mm -hmm. physically. So they can mm -hmm. react to even small doses of over-the-counter medications. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good to know. And it's, it's good to be aware to be safe in giving those things too. So I, I love yeah. that advice. Um, let's talk about ear infections because <laughs> you know, my story <laughs> when um, we came to your office, my child had had, gosh, I think eight ear, different ear infections in his first year of life. And I was looking for answers. I was looking for something beyond let's mm -hmm. try this antibiotic. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about what you've learned about ear infections. Maybe if it's possible to treat them naturally, what could we mm -hmm. do? And um, yes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes, that's another hot topic. And uh, kids are more prone to getting ear infections than adults because their anatomy is different. The mm -hmm. little tube that connects the ears, the nose, and the mouth is more flat and shorter, especially in babies. Mm -hmm. So they're more prone to get ear infections, especially if they get really congested or yeah. one of the risk factors in um, breastfed babies or even bottle-fed babies if we feed them at night. So, um, ah. um, and if, at night lying down. So I always encourage moms to pick up the babies and hold them upright when they feed them. So the other day I, um, I had a mom, I think the baby was around um, six or nine months old, perfectly healthy baby who started to act really fussy and um, a little bit of low grade fever pulling on his ears. And um, 
what I found out, mom was so upset. She's like, do you, do you think I did that to him? Um, it's, it's that maternal guilt that always mm-hmm. kicks in. Um, but at night, because moms are so tired, um, there's, this, there's this tendency of just feeding the baby laying down. Mm-hmm. But it's always yep. a good idea to pick them up. Um, and then mouth hygiene is really important, even in babies, even if they don't have um, teeth, because um, uh, too many bacteria in the um, mouth area can cause, increase the risk of ear infections. But, um, you know, not even that long ago, antibiotics were prescribed more liberal to any kind of ear infections, but there are um, newer guidelines and by new, I, I realized that time just flies. <laughs> I feel like it's been like yesterday when when I when I trained. So they're not really that new, but um, the guidelines are not to treat all ear infections with antibiotics because again, most of them are viral, and um, they go away on their own. And antibiotics work for bacterial infections. They do not work for viruses. They're different mechanisms. They're different organisms and they're um, acting differently. Um, So the guidelines are not to just watch, especially for um, toddlers two years and older. Um, And most of them are getting better, even if they have fever and they have uh, true ear infections, most ear infections are getting better in two, three days. Now, if there's fever, high fever after two, three days, um, persistent fussiness, the child is really uncomfortable, um, in um, very few cases, you can get even more severe infections of the areas around the ears. So if there's redness, mm. swelling, then definitely call the office. But the majority of kids are just getting better on their own. And um, again, that's the beauty. That's why I like pediatrics. Kids can be resilient. And if we just support them a little bit, they're getting better on their own. Yeah. And so would you, you say that the major, typically the majority of ear infections that you see are viral related? Yes. Yes. Okay. So that, that's Um, super interesting. Yes. Yeah. The majority are viral and they can get complicated with the bacterial infections, but in very few cases, and usually after a more prolonged viral infection, Mm -hmm. And if there are some of the risk factors that I mentioned, like um, feeding babies um, right. laying down or persistent nasal congestion. So I always suggest mm-hmm. parents to use a nasal saline spray and, and clean um, the nostrils because that really helps the entire area to just open up. Otherwise, yeah. um, bacteria are just, or even viruses, they're just um, just growing like um, like frogs in a pond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, how much do food sensitivities play into ear infections? Um, that's a really good question. So um, um, this is, again, more recent information, but a lot of food sensitivities, they can cause um, inflammation, mm. um, generalized inflammation, and uh, that can lead to persistent nasal congestion, and that indirectly can lead to ear infections. So um, 
again, this is one of the um, more controversial topic in um, yeah. <laughs> pediatrics, uh, but in integrative medicine, I had re really good results with um, either eliminating cow milk products mm. completely, uh, at least for a while. So to do an elimination mm. diet without um, cow milk products. And it always comes a surprise for for some parents because milk is such a staple in um, kids' diet. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, babies they grow on uh, mommy's breast yeah. milk. Um, but afterwards, there's really more and more information that um, casein, the protein in the milk, is not the lactose, the sugar in the milk, but casein can be harder to digest and it can cause more inflammation. Yeah. And, and I can attest to that because we took my third child off of dairy cow's milk for a year and a half, a full year and a half and mm -hmm. saw huge results. And we've slowly been trying to add that back in. And um, I have noticed that there are still some sensitivities there. So it's really interesting to be aware of it's something I never, mm -hmm. ever would have thought of until yeah. we took it out and saw a difference. And so I think that that's... Yes, I have really good results with a diet without um, cow milk products, and that includes cheese. Mm -hmm. um, and cow milk in kids leads to a lot of other issues like constipation, and that's another one of my favorite topics uh -huh. that I love to talk about poop. <laughs> yes, and, and I want to get to that too. Before we do, is there anything, what would you say is a natural way to treat ear infections, just to maybe you know, it's so painful, especially at nighttime when yes. kids are up with ear pain, mm -hmm. especially babies who can't tell you what hurts. Um, is there anything mm -hmm. we can do to kind of lessen the pain? Yeah. So there are, there are a couple of natural um, methods that moms can try at home, even before using um, ibuprofen or Tylenol. So one that I like is a warm compress over the ear. It really does wonders. Um, and the other one, there's a over-the-counter um, ear drops um, mm -hmm. that are working really well. They're helping with inflammation and pain. Um, it's based on mulein and garlic oil. Uh, yes. So again, I had uh, good results with that. And um, as long as moms are aware of um, the parameters on when to call the doctor's office and that it's okay to wait for um, a couple of days, um, they, they can use this, especially in the middle of the night. And somehow kids have this... Um, um, this habit, I would call it, to start coughing in the middle of the night, spiking fever, mm. and being really uncomfortable. So everything happens at night with kids. It is so true. And having a baby with RSV, the nights, they were the scariest times for, for coughing. I would mm. just hear him coughing. I'd have to go check his breathing and count how many breaths he was taking, you know, all of that. It's like, yeah. for whatever reason, things always flare up in the middle of the night, especially fevers too. That's another yeah. one that, that yeah. gets real scary for parents. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. That's a really good point. Um, okay, let's talk about constipation. Um, how often, I mean, I know you, you talk about this, you know, you write about it on your website and you've shared it in some videos. So clearly it's an issue, right? So yes. are you seeing yeah. that happening more and more? So I see so many kids with constipation that um, I'm starting to tell everyone that they're constipated until proven otherwise. Um, so 
constipation in kids it's um this big mystery because kids don't remember when they poop and how often they poop and parents can't wait for kids to be potty trained so they don't have to worry about their um their poops anymore um then uh, kids think that they're pooping fine, um, but it's still hard and it, it bothers them when they go. Um, but they kind of get used to it and they think that's normal. So when I ask yeah. them um, um, how they're pooping, they're like, normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, then, I, then I start the constipation talk and um, explain to them that um, normal pooping is when it's soft and I have this, this whole uh, constipation talk that I give to kids and I get a lot of giggles. Um, <laughs> but for some kids can be normal to um, go only once a day or every other day. And as long as it's soft, it's fine as long as they don't have tummy issues. But mm -hmm. some kids have chronic abdominal pain and um, um, for those kids, it's really important that they start having a normal bowel move, movement every day. So uh, most kids get constipated because they don't drink enough water. They don't eat enough um, vegetables or fiber-rich mm -hmm. foods, and they don't move that much. So um, um, when kids get constipated um, and again it depends on the age it's different in babies than it is in school-aged children or, or teenagers um, but for example in school-aged children um, with kids that I can actually talk directly I do ask them to drink more water to cut out the milk and cheese because that those and bananas I have kids who eat three bananas a day so uh -huh. those can be constipating yeah and um, I teach them to add more vegetables um, baby steps uh, if they eat one or two servings per day I ask them to add maybe three or four or five servings per day a little bit every day um, and then it's really important to physical activity. They don't have yeah. to be enrolled in sports, but they have to do something um, to get off the couch or um, off their chair in front of the computer. Yeah. Um, so that's where I start. Those are, those are the basics. And uh, if that doesn't work, sometimes constipation can be very tricky and it can take a long time to treat. Hmm. Um, so one of the main reason kids keep coming back with constipation or they they have to go to a um, gastroenterologist is because we don't treat it long enough. Sometimes oh. it can take six to twelve months for um, depending how bad it is to treat constipation. So uh, wow. um, it, it's it's, a, it's hard work. It is, yeah. And and do you recommend? You know, I, I know. I've seen different things in your office. I know um, there are supplements, there are, you know, are there elimination diets? Could it possibly, going back to the food sensitivity, could there be an issue with their food that you would recommend maybe doing an elimination of something? What, where would you go there? Yes, so uh, I try to work with food as much as possible in kids, even um, uh, you know how important it is to have a healthy gut microbiome, mm -hmm. the friendly bacteria in our stomach. Oh. So I do encourage um, parents to offer as many vegetables yeah. and uh, fermented foods. And mm -hmm. kids can develop a palate for fermented foods. It just takes time, like sauerkraut or pickled vegetables. Mm -hmm. 
um, and uh, magnesium is really important. It's a uh, it's um, a mineral that a lot of kids are deficient in um, for several reasons. Uh, one is they don't eat enough vegetables and um, even the vegetables that they eat, they don't grow in a soil that is rich with magnesium. Right. So um, the two supplements that I recommend a lot for kids who are constipated is magnesium and probiotics. Um, there's another supplement that I, uh, not a supplement, it's uh, over-the-counter medication that it's used um, often, Miralax. I mm. haven't used it in about five to seven years. Oh, wow. Uh, but I had really, really good results with uh, magnesium and probiotics. And they're um, very safe and they, go, they give really, really good results. That's awesome. I, I love that. And, and, you know, the gut microbiome is something that I love talking about that I've talked about a lot on this podcast. <laughs> and, um, but you do believe that a healthy microbiome is going to um, improve the health of the child as well, right? Yes, yes, I do believe that it's um, linked to their immune system, mm. to the neurotransmitters, so to um, it improves their behavior. Um, and you mentioned uh, elimination diet or foods, mm -hmm. which I think um, they definitely contribute to a healthy gut microbiome or to treating constipation. So when I talk about treating constipation in kids, um, I do recommend to eliminate all processed food or mm -hmm. junk food. Um, and then some of the um, foods that are constipating, I mentioned the cow milk products and um, mm -hmm. some bananas in some kids. And if they're really not getting better, no matter what we're doing, then I start to do a little bit more tests to make sure they don't have celiac. I'm right. starting to see a lot of um, kids who don't have any other sim celiac symptoms except constipation. So oh, wow. there are more and more um, kids like that. Wow. Uh, and then, of course, we have to eliminate other um, more serious reasons for constipation. But um, before doing any x-rays or any, any blood work, I, I do like to work with supplements, lifestyle, um, nutrition, and um, I would say that 90% of the kids are getting better. I love that. That's, that's so good to know that there are so many, you know, I always say there's so many tools available for healing, you know, and I love that you make those tools available and you empower parents in that way too. I think that's really important. So um, you mentioned running tests for celiac and blood work. Mm -hmm. And are you seeing, I know that you offer a variety of testing at, at your clinic for parents who are who are listening, maybe interested, maybe they think that something's going on with their kid. Um, I know you can test for different nutrient deficiencies, right? Yes. What, what are you yes. seeing there? What's, what's popping out at you in, in these tests? So unfortunately, as I, as I mentioned, magnesium is a common um, uh, deficiency. Vitamin D, um, oh, a yeah. lot, many of my kids are vitamin D deficient. Um, again, because they, um, they, don't, they don't spend time outside. It can be a nutrition deficiency. Um, it can be a genetic predisposition. Mm, yeah. um, 
I usually do more in-depth nutrition evaluation for children who have chronic conditions or mood behavior issues, anxiety. Mm -hmm. A lot of those kids are deficient in B vitamins, yeah. in um, antioxidants, um, vitamin A, um, vitamin E, vitamin C. And there are several reasons for it, but the main one is um, nutrition and um, gut issues. Kids just don't absorb their food yeah. well. A lot of kids uh, who are, are anxious or have mood behavior issues, um, they're also picky eaters and they're mm. very um, sensitive. They have sensory issues. So it's a matter of um, the food they eat, but also how they absorb their food and uh, how they're metabolizing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have to say, as we're talking, I am kind of amazed at the way you're multitasking right now. I've got to bring this up because <laughs> I don't know if, if you guys who are listening, if you hear the dog barking in the background, I think that she's working on feeding her dog at the same time. Yes. Yet she's still talking about all of this stuff. Like, like it's just no big deal. I can't multitask like that. So I am just really impressed. <laughs> to throw that out there uh that, that's how much you know your stuff <laughs> i'm trying to keep her quiet but at the same time not to feed her junk food <laughs> right hey that's that is just a metaphor for life right there i know so I, was like, I could give you a treat <laughs> yeah yep, i get that um i think that fits appropriately into this conversation with kids and, and eating and all of that so um what are some ways that we can Help with with that in mind with the nu nutrient deficiencies because I do think that that's a big problem. I I know, um, you know, I I've seen so many things about how, like you mentioned, the soil is not as rich as it used to be. Even our our produce and things just don't contain the same amount of nutrients that it used to. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy in that way. And then you know we worry about the the pesticides and things that could maybe break down the gut barrier even more like that there are a lot of concerns there so what are some ways that we can boost our kids immune systems and and try to give them as many nutrients as possible in a safe way um, in a natural way to because i know yes. these nutrients help protect against all of these viruses and things that are out there and yeah. chronic illness too so yeah what are your thoughts mm -hmm. there Yes, I'm, I'm really glad you, you brought that up um, about boosting the immune system with, um, with food, because that's where I like to start, boosting the immune system with uh, natural nutrients. Um, and I start with um, encouraging parents to eliminate as much as possible, especially now when everybody's so stressed and multitasking, mm -hmm. uh, but eliminate as much as possible junk food and processed food because it has no nutritional value. And um, it actually like things like artificial dyes and preservatives, yeah. um, especially for children who are very sensitive um, it really can affect their neurotransmitter productions and detoxification pathways, and um, it alters their mood. It, it's almost like drugs for kids. Yep. And um, I think that's why they're craving this, this foods, mm -hmm. um, because it does, they, they do play with kids' brains. Mm -hmm. So I start by eliminating the processed food. And when we eliminate something, we have to add something instead. Mm -hmm. So I recommend um, what I call the anti-inflammatory diet. 
And it's anti-inflammatory because um, the root cause of a lot of chronic conditions, um, anything from autoimmune issues to behavior issues, is inflammation, mm -hmm. even, in, even in kids. So the anti-inflammatory diet is based on a lot of vegetables, fruits, um, healthy fats, like avocados, mm -hmm. nuts and seeds, olive oil, coconut oils, um, fermented foods. It's a combination of the best of a Mediterranean diet and um, Asian diet. Um, and again, it's not always easy to make it kid friendly. Um, and we can definitely talk about ways to do it. I know you, <laughs> yeah. you have a lot of tips and you've been uh, experimenting with your family. Uh, but there are ways to, to incorporate uh, anti-inflammatory diet into kids' nutrition. Um, and gut health. We talked uh, a lot about gut health. I think um, it is one of the cornerstones of um, everyone's health, including children. So um, it's, I don't think it, there's a coincidence that a lot of anxious children um, do get constipated or mm. they get a lot of diarrhea yep. um, and uh, stress can affect their mood, their gut health, um, but also their immune system. Yes. And do you think right now, um, you know, we're in the middle, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, you know, mm -hmm. and I think kids are pretty stressed. School has been canceled. Their schedules are thrown off. I mean, I know my six-year-old, his entire basketball season was canceled, you know, that broke his heart. I mean, and things are just off right now. They can't see their friends. So yeah. is, is this going to affect just the stress of that? Are you saying that that could potentially affect their immune system as well? Absolutely. So that's why I think even before I talk about diet and supplements, I want to talk about stress management even in this low ones and stress management for kids starts with stress management for the parents yes. and then a, um, a safe and um, more relaxed parent-child relationship so i've been telling a lot of parents these days to and i hope teachers who listen to this are not going to be upset with me but i did <laughs> tell parents to pick their battles, do the best they can, but don't make homeschooling more stressful than the pandemic itself. Yep. So I agree. As a former teacher, I 100% agree with that. <laughs> and um, uh, stress can alter the genes. There's um, so much information now that... Um, a stress can uh, shorten, it's a part of the chromosome, it's called the telomeres. Ah, yeah. And uh, we can either lengthen in with a good lifestyle or we can shorten them with stress and an unhealthy lifestyle. So as we're aging and getting sick, our telomeres, this part of the chromosomes, are becoming shorter and shorter. So I, I don't want kids to have shorter telomeres. Um, right. And I don't want parents to age prematurely to, you know, age 10 years in this mm -hmm. two months. So um, before reaching out to any kind of supplements like vitamin D or vitamin C, 
um, I would suggest to find ways to de-stress. Mm. And for some people that can be dancing or playing outside or sleeping more mm-hmm. or going for walks. And um, for some people can be journaling or a, a gratitude um, journal or meditation or prayer. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of mind-body techniques and stress management techniques. I suggest everyone to experiment with something. Yeah. And you have some great uh, videos on meditation on your YouTube channel, which um, we'll, we can talk about in, in a little bit. And then um, just videos in general that, that are helpful for this, because I, I am with you. I totally agree. I think that we've got to address our stress first. Um, and then everything else kind of falls into line um, when, when that's when that happens. But we are all experiencing probably stress like we've never experienced as, as an entire world possibly, you know, at the same time. And so that's, that's a big concern. Is there anything else um, you want to speak to in in regards to the pandemic that's going on right now? Any advice that you want to give to parents other than what you've already said to share? Yes. You know, it's been going on now for about two months, at least in the United States. And, um, the first weeks were we were all in um, survival mode. Mm-hmm. Nobody really knew what's going on, and we had the worst case scenarios in mind. Right. Um, but it's been now going on for so long that I'm I'm starting to call it a chronic pandemic. We, mm. We're past the acute phase of the pandemic. Yeah. And. Um, in any in the acute phase of any disease we're trying to survive right um and uh, but then like any health related conditions um it, it can become chronic mm-hmm. and uh, what works in chronic conditions is lifestyle management mm. so all the things we talked about um, stress management, nutrition, exercise, healthy relationships, um, maybe changing our perspective a little bit, our expectations, like I mentioned about homeschooling. Um, but this is how we build resiliency in children. And and that's what kids and us, um, but kids need to become resilient. Um, and uh, things that contribute to that are healthy lifestyle choices. And uh, resilient children are also have a better immune system. So they're more yeah. likely to fight any kind of infection. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I, I think that you, again, offer such a good balanced perspective that is hopeful, <laughs> too. Um, that because I think a lot of families spent the first part of the pandemic and, and moms and dads, you know, like, Oh, let's, let's bake. Let's, let's load up on all this junk food, almost kind of like, like, we don't know when the end is coming. So let's just load up. And, and I think, okay, I, I get that for a while, but maybe we could use this time to try out new recipes, you know, and to try out new ways of nourishing ourselves, whether that is going outside for a walk. I mean, my kids, we've been exploring nature trails and getting all sorts of sun. Mm -hmm. We love it. And it's the time that they don't whine. It's amazing. It's like the only time that they haven't whined or tried to fight with each other uh, or wrestle or whatever is when we're out in nature, wandering Mm -hmm. different trails. And, you know, I I think that that has been really nourishing for us. So something like that, or like you said, even sleeping more, letting kids sleep in when normally they have to wake up so early. I think that that's, 
that's a great way to help nourish our kids as well. So yeah, so I, I, I love that. We can, this is a chance to build resilience, like you said. Yes. I think that yeah. that's really important. There is, there is a saying in medicine that I love that we can't always cure, but we can always heal. Mm, I like that. So in the current situation, we don't have a cure, but we can heal ourselves. No matter what is go going on in the outside world, we can do things for ourselves to be whole, because that's yeah. what healing means, to be whole. Yeah. I love that. That those that's really good. I wrote that down. That will be quoted. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had some other questions for you. I think we're running out of time, but I want to make sure that people check out your website. It's uh, www.wholechildtexas.com, and you have great information there about things like essential oils. I know that that can be a controversial topic, but mm -hmm. um, I know you have a really good, really good recommendations for those. Um, I know you've said before with children under, is it four? You have to be careful with peppermint and eucalyptus. Is that right? Yeah. Or three. Yeah. Around that three. age. Okay. Yeah. 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 That three. was really important for me to learn because I had no idea um, mm -hmm. that it could be doing the wrong thing for my child with respiratory issues. Mm -hmm. So um, check that out on her website, the, the um, article about essential oils. She's got great information about allergies. I mean, we could go on for days, but she has tons of resources on wholechildtexas.com. Also your YouTube channel. Remind me what the YouTube channel is. It's a whole child Texas as well. It's also whole child Texas. And then on Instagram, she is Dr. Alina O. Olpianu. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, and I'll link all of this in the show notes and then yeah. Facebook. You can follow her on Facebook, whole child, Texas, um, Dr. Alina Oltianu. And thank you so much for doing this call. I hear crying in the other room and I know, um, I don't know what's going on, but, um, this is just real life. You know, we are keeping it real today <laughs> during. Yeah. Thank you so much, Erin. And thank you everyone for listening. Yes. Thank you. To me and my puppy. Yeah, exactly. All that, all the craziness. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.